1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. We're going to read that, we're going to do a few things, and then we're going to pray. We are in the New American Standard Bible. If you're using your phone, that's the one you're looking for, the NASB, New American Standard Bible. Chapter 2, starting at verse 13, just four verses. I hope you guys are enjoying our journey through Thessalonians. I'm loving it. hope you are too. Today's passage has one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, verse 13. And we're going to spend a lot of time there because of that. And it's just an amazing verse. So starting verse 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. (laughs) So think about that, right? What Paul's writing, he's saying, hey, oh, by the way, the word of God, you know what that is? It's the word of God. Oh, that's, that's what that is. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Which also, here's what's so powerful, when you understand that, it performs its work in you who believe. The word of God performs a work. Verse 14. And there's this interesting transition from 13 into 14, 15, and 16. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, because they're in Macedonia. Okay, this church is in Judea. For you also, like those churches in Judea, you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from their fellow Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles. They didn't stop them, but they hindered them. They got in the way, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. And the result of preventing the gospel message, the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but what awaits them is wrath, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. Wow. Okay. I want to read again verse 13. Go back to verse 13. Excuse me. Verse 13. For this reason... We also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, that you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. And that word of God performs its work in you who believe. Wow. What an amazing, amazing promise for us. Church, when we receive and accept the word of God for what it actually is, it will then perform its work in us who believe. That's what verse 13 tells us. Church, the word of God. We got this on the screens, Kevin? Thank you. The work of God in our lives comes from or requires the word of God in our lives. That's what this verse is telling us. Many of us want the work of God in our lives, and he says, hey, man, it goes with the word of God in your life. They go together. The word of God performs its work in those who believe. So we have two things we need to do then. We must get the word into us. We must get the word into our lives, and we must believe it, because it performs its work in those of us who believe. We need to get the word into our lives, and we must believe the word. Because here's what we run the risk of if we don't do that. 
If we don't get his word in us, <laughs> then we get somebody else's word in us. Do you know whose word we get in us? We get man's word in us. And the word of man leads to the work of man. And the word of God leads to the work of God. That's the options. Curtain A or curtain B. Let me tell you what the, work, the word and the work of man looks like. Check this verse out in Genesis chapter 6. We're six chapters into scripture and look at this verse. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Well, that's a shiny picture. So we can get the word of man into us and then the work of man, which is going to look like this, or we can get the word of God into us so that we can experience the work of God in us who believe his word. Conversely, here's some verses that speak opposite of that. Paul writes in his first letter to Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, he says, the word of the cross, the gospel message, God's word, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. They would rather follow the word of man. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God to change lives. We already read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, a couple weeks ago, a similar verse. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay, so... Has anybody heard of this guy? He used to preach a lot, uh, Billy Graham. Does that ring a bell? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Billy Graham. There was a time when Billy Graham didn't really think this to be God's word, even when he was preaching it, early in his ministry. Check this out. He writes this in 1949. Billy Graham says this. He says, in August of 1949, I was so filled with doubts about everything that when I stood to preach and made a statement, I would say to myself, I wonder if that is the truth. I wonder if I can really say that sincerely. And he says, my ministry had gone. I then took the Bible up to the high Sierra Nevada mountains in California. And I opened it and I got on my knees. And I pled, Father, I cannot understand many things in this book. I cannot come intellectually all the way. But I accept it by faith to be authoritative, the inspired word of the living God. He took the word of God from that moment as the word of God. And the word of God, when we take it as the word of God, starts to work its power in those who believe. And as a result, I think Billy Graham had a pretty effective ministry, would you say? Let me give you some information about his ministry. He preached to live audiences of 210 million people in his lifetime in nearly 200 countries. Wow. He was a spiritual advisor to the U.S. president's from the 33rd president, who was the 33rd president? Does anybody know? Me neither. Harry S. Truman. <laughs> I had to look it up. The 33rd, from the 33rd president all the way to the 44th president. Who was the 44th president? Barack Obama. Twelve presidents. He was the spiritual advisor. That covers 50 plus years. It is reported that over 3 million people have responded to his invitations to receive Christ. It is estimated that one special televised broadcast in 1996 alone may have reached a television audience of as many as 2.5 billion people in 1996. The world's population at the time was 5.8 billion. It's nearly half of the world's population is reported to have maybe seen that telecast. This is a man 
who took the word of God for what it really is, the word of God, which performed its power in those who believe, and Billy Graham is evidence of that. From this man's life, we can say with blessed assurance that the word of God performs its work in those who believe. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. Those servants from this little church in Anaheim Hills that have gone to Honduras over the past few years, they would affirm that the word of God performs its work in those who believe. Amen, Ryan? Yeah. Church, let's pray. God, I... I'm just so grateful to be at this part of Scripture that I have the privilege of sharing from your word. God, I'm grateful that we as a church body, we we recognize that the word of God is exactly what it is, the word of God. And Lord, we recognize that it performs its power in those of us who believe. And so, gosh, we believe, but help our unbelief. We want you to work mightily amongst us, Lord. We want to believe We want to take your word for what it is, which is your word. Please work in us, we pray. In the mighty, mighty, mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. All right, I want to read verse 13 again. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. If this doesn't inspire you to be in God's word, I don't know what else will. I hope this inspires us to be in his word. So it says here that they're, they're thankful. In the beginning of verse 13, for this reason, we give thanks to God. Let's talk about this thanks. As Christians, there are things we can do that bring thanks from our brothers and sisters and from our Lord. There's things that we do that men of God and women of God and God himself are thankful for. But in this letter, so far, we have now been introduced to two things. This is the second one. Two things that bring not just thanks, but bring constant thanks. I don't know if you picked up on that. This is now the second time so far in 1 Thessalonians where Paul and Silvanus and Timothy say, we're constantly thankful. You do something, we can be thankful. But they're doing, this church is doing things that is bringing continual thanks. Go to chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. This is the first occurrence. Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind these things. Your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus, in the presence of God our Father. Those three things just represent what we call righteousness, faith, hope, and love. It's a righteous lifestyle. They're constantly being thanked because they're constantly being righteous in their life. And then here in verse 13, in chapter 2, we see constant thanks again. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that you receive the word of God for what it is, the word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. So they're constantly being thanked for a lifestyle of righteousness, and they're constantly being thanked for being in the word of God and understanding it to be the word of God. And so I put it this way. Righteousness, which is chapter 1, verse 3, is rooted in receiving, chapter 2, verse 13, the reality of the word of God for what it truly is, the word of God. 
They go together. Deuteronomy chapter 12, 28 says this. Very similarly, be careful to listen to all these words which I command you. Not to memorize them, a command means to do. So that it may be well with you and your sons after you forever. For you will be doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord. Good and right means righteous. If you walk according to God's word, you are walking righteously and God is continually thanking you for that. Live in a constant lifestyle of righteousness and a constant lifestyle of receiving and being in his word. They go together. (laughs) Oppositely, (laughs) sin is rooted in his word, not at work in our lives as we don't believe. That makes sense, right? Okay, go to Genesis chapter 2. Let's see how that plays out in Genesis chapter 2. Go all the way to Genesis, the very beginning of the New Testament, or Old Testament, Genesis chapter 2. This is not taking God at his word. This is the truth not getting into our lives. This is how sin occurs when we don't take God's truth and believe it. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 15. Then the Lord God took man, I think his name was Adam, right? And he put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded Adam, and he said, From any tree you may eat freely, knock yourself out. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Okay, that's God's truth getting into his life, right? Now going to chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent, see, he was crafty, more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? That's not what God said. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God had said, don't eat, eat from it or touch it or you will die. That part's true. So she corrected him. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. And she believed man's word, if you will, not God's word, Satan's word, okay? So that's not good. That is how sin is being rooted in his word not being at work as we don't believe. That's what sin is. We don't take him at his word and it doesn't penetrate our lives. Okay, so (laughs) I can't imagine anything else that brings constant gratitude from our God. Our God's thankful for the things we do well. I can't imagine anything else that brings a constant gratitude from our Lord than walking righteously and receiving his word, right? What else would, this is what he's constantly thankful for. When we continually walk righteously and we're continually walking according to his word because they go hand in hand, our God is saying to us, well done, I continually, I'm constantly thankful for you who walk in righteousness and who walk rooted in my word. Mm. They go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. You can't walk righteously without the word, and you can't be in the word without walking righteously. They need to go hand in hand. We are either walking according to his word, or we are not. Church, one of my biggest goals Arguably, the biggest goal 
every time I teach or preach, wherever I'm at, is not so much what you learn in the time that I'm teaching or preaching. It's not necessarily the biggest goal of mine. The biggest goal is getting people to receive the word of God for what it actually is, the word of God. If, if you leave one, I'm not sure what he preached about, but man, I'm starting to realize that that is actually the word of God. I'm gonna take that for what it really is, the word of God. That's my bigger goal for you because we're only together for 30-something minutes a week, right? <clears throat> but you can be alone with God's word all the time because when you take this as the word of God for what it really is, once we do, once we understand that, how can it not change us from head to toe? When we truly understand this to be the word of God for what it really is, the word of God, how can that not in some way affect our lives from the top of our heads to the bottoms of our feet? I just think it would. And so that's why it's a goal for me is to, for us as a church, anybody that I come in contact with to say, this is really what it is. It is the word of God and it performs its power and its work and those who believe. And I believe that when we get to that place, it literally will change our lives. Hmm. Church, I'll say it again. There's a constant gratitude for our lives when we accept the word of God for what it really is. There's a constant gratitude that the Lord extends to us when we receive the word of God for what it really is. His word. Some other things to consider from this verse. To what degree is God's word performing in your life. It says it performs its work in those who believe. That's what verse 13 says. And so the question is, to what degree is God's word performing in your life? If it performs its work in those who believe, how is God's word performing in your life? Who said Christianity wasn't (laughs) performance-based? We don't have to perform for our salvation, but if God's word's in us, it should be performing. That's what verse 13 says. If we can't see or experience or articulate how his word is performing in us, then what might that be telling us? What needs to get corrected? Church, if we can't take God at his word, how can he possibly work or perform in our lives if we can't take him at his word? I, I, it's been years since I've even remembered this, this, this saying. I don't even know if I'm going to say it right, but you'll get what I'm going to say. If I take this to be God's word, which I firmly believe it is, I gain everything. If it ends up not being his word, I lose nothing. Does that make sense? If I got bamboozled, I've been fooled, and I've studied this for no reason, what did I lose? I lose nothing. I stand to gain everything. And lose nothing. So I'm going to take it like Billy Graham as the word of God for what it actually is. Perhaps this is the reason that Paul commends this church more than he does any other church. Because they took God's word for what it really is as the word of God. And they walked righteously every day because of it. That's why they were a church that excelled. A church that he said excel still more. They were in his word, they were rooted in his word, and they walked righteously. Paul gives the word, they accept the word, and the word performs in this church. What a church indeed. No wonder he's commending them. 
So, that end of that verse, it says, it performs its work in those who believe. That word believe in the Greek is in the present tense. Not the past tense, it's the present tense. Which means a continuing action, a continuing belief, a continuing of being rooted in God's word. God will continue to perform his work in our lives if and when our lives continue to be in his word. It's a present tense. We must presently be walking in his word so that we can walk in righteousness. Wouldn't it be amazing to be part of a church that Paul and Silas and Timothy would be this thankful for? They are constantly thankful for this church. God is constantly thankful for this church. Why? Because they're walking consistently in righteousness and they're always in the word of God. Verses 14, 15, and 16. Let's read those three verses. So you have this this verse 13, which is all about how well they've received the word of God. And then just this interesting like transition in verse 14. I think it's interesting. For you, brethren became imitators of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. For you also, you Thessalonians, you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who, the Jews, both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. They drove us out, and they're not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. So in verse 14, he talks about the the sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen. When the Jews uh, became Christian, um, those that didn't become Christian, they they became social outcasts. And that's what was happening in Thessalonica. And so they were being rejected socially and sometimes even physically for their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. And so this just, in these three verses, a very interesting transition, but I would call it not necessarily just a transition, but I'd call it a progression so far in our letter. Let me explain. As we have just discovered, these believers in Thessalonica are the source of constant thanks, right? We, we established that. They're constantly being thanked for two reasons. The first reason is they're walking righteously, chapter 1, verse 3. And they're also constantly being thanked because they're rooted in the word of God, chapter 2, verse 13. Okay, so walking righteously, chapter 1, being rooted in the word, chapter 2. Are those good things? Nod your head, yes. Good things. By themselves, walking righteously and being rooted in the word are fantastic things. So not only are they commendable, those two things, but I'd say they're critical to the Christian life as we know it. Because what came after that, after they're, they're commended for walking righteously, they're commended for being rooted in the word, and then suffering is the next verse. Hmm. Right? So, I say it this way. Being rooted in the word of the Lord and living a righteous life is what enables us to endure. That's what it says in verse 14, that they endured suffering. It enables us to endure the hardships that we are most certain to face throughout our lifetime. Walking righteously and being rooted in God's word. Those are fantastic by themselves, but they're critical to this thing that we call life. Because right after that, it says, you suffered just like your brothers and sisters suffered in Judea. 
in a world fallen in sin. We must come to realize and to expect suffering. There's brokenness in this world. We must come to expect that. Our ability to endure is being rooted in his word and walking in righteousness. That's what allows us to endure this life that we live. Amen? It's really critical. It's not just so God says, thank you for walking righteously. Thank you for being rooted in the word. It's critical for how we live our lives. It's what gets us through the hard stuff. It's what allows us to endure. And so, if you recall from a couple weeks ago, we talked about how they were, the Thessalonians were imitators. So the imitation continues. Go back to chapter 1, verse 6. If you remember this from a few weeks back. They're being commended for how well they're walking in their faith. So in verse 6, Paul and Silas and Timothy write, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. So he's commending them for imitating godly people. They imitated the apostles, or these men, Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they also imitated the Lord. Now, look at verse 14 of chapter 2. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God that are in Judea. For you endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen. (laughs) So they imitated Paul and Silas and Timothy. They imitated these churches in Judea, and they imitated God himself. You you know what that means? We imitate. It is our nature to imitate. We're going to imitate something, someone. It's just what we do. We imitate. These Thessalonians who are living excellent Christian lives are imitating godly people, godly churches, and God himself. And so the question is, do we? They're killing it. They are living excellent Christian lives. Because they're imitating godly people, godly churches, and God himself. They're walking righteously, and they're rooted in God's word. And the Lord is constantly thanking them for that. Do we do the same? Because if we don't, (laughs) who or what would others say that you and I do imitate? If it's not godly people, godly churches, God himself. Who or what do we imitate? We imitate something. So, What's your game plan? What's your game plan for how to endure in an environment called this world that is hostile towards your performance, right? So it says the word of God performs its work. It performs its work in those who believe, right? So what's your game plan for how to endure in an environment that is hostile towards your performance? God wants to perform, but you're in an environment that's hostile towards you performing What's your plan? Check this out. Look at James chapter 4, verse 4. This is, this is the environment that we live in, church, okay? You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Our environment is hostile. What's our game plan for that? John 3, 19 and 20. Jesus penned these words. He says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the, into the world. He's talking about himself. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So again, I ask you, what is your game plan 
for the hostile environment that we live in as Christians. What's your game plan? Well, our text tells us it should be this. We need to be rooted in the word. We need to be walking in righteousness. And we need to be imitating godly people, godly churches, and God himself. There's the solution for a hostile environment. Get in his word, walk in righteousness, and imitate godly people, godly churches, and God himself. It's not that complicated. A lot of work to do, but it's not that complicated. Verses 15 and 16 where it says that they killed the, the Lord Jesus and the prophets and, and they even drove us out and, and beat upon them as well. They're not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men. What does that mean? Look, it's one thing to say, hey, look, I don't want to receive Jesus. I don't want to be a Christian. But man, here's the red carpet to the rest of my family, to the rest of my business people, to the rest of my city. No, they don't want the gospel to be spread at all. That's what it means to be hostile towards all men. And when you're preventing the word of God, salvation, to any other people. That's what, they're, that's what they're writing about. And that's why it says at the end of 16 that the wrath has come upon them to the utmost unless they repent. Isn't that fantastic? Because guess who used to prevent the gospel from being spread? The guy writing this letter. And he repented. Oh, he gets it. For sure, these verses reveal that Christianity is anything but a crutch. It takes massive strength and determination to commit to Jesus Christ and to stay committed. Look, if they killed our perfect Lord, then I wonder what awaits you and I. Think about that. Whatever awaits you and I, we are to walk righteously, we are to stay rooted in the word, and we are to imitate well. Whatever awaits us, that's the game plan. Walk righteously. The Lord constantly thanks us for walking righteously. Stay in his word. The Lord constantly thanks us for staying in his word. And then imitate godly people, godly churches, and God himself. That's the antidote to this thing we call life, to the hostility of the world that we live in. Amen? I'm going to invite you guys up. I'm going to close this in prayer. If you need prayer after our service, please see our prayer team. They'll be down here in the corner to my left. It's really good to be with you guys. I just love, love, love verse 13. It's just so foundational for us, church. I hope that you understand that this is indeed the Word of God. I just, it'll change your life if you get to that place. Let's pray. Almighty God, I'm just so grateful to be with my brothers and sisters that do indeed recognize the Word of God for what it really is, the Word of God. And I'm thankful, Lord, to know that it still performs its work in those who believe. And Lord, we believe. And so we look forward with eager expectation to how you're going to perform in our lives and in our church and in our city and in our homes and our families and our workplace. Lord, do your work. Help us to trust you in the timing of your work. Lord, we are yours The church is yours. You are sovereign, Lord, when you are in control. Thank you, Almighty God, for this part of Scripture. What a great reminder for us. We love you and we thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.